0: Well, hello and welcome to another edition of Health Solutions with Sean and Janet Needham, where Team Needham discusses everything healthcare. I'm your host Sean Needham, and I have the privilege of having Pete Serrano on today. Um, I met him through some mutual friends and at an event uh, a few months ago, and he is an attorney, and he is fighting for medical freedom for individual healthcare professionals. And you do not want to miss out on this because if you are like me and you believe in medical freedom and you believe that we should have a right to make a living and um, practice the way we want to practice without hurting anyone and the government shouldn't um, tell us how to do that and what is what is right, what is good, what is bad, um, then you don't want to miss out because the government has weaponized licensing. And if you followed me before on social media, you've um, saw maybe Dr. and former Senator Scott Jensen, who is now running for governor of Minnesota, and he has had complaints against his licenses, his his medical license, um, multiple times. And in 30 years, he had never had one complaint. And through COVID, he had four or five complaints. And he has to fight just to keep his license to make a living. And that is a shame. And we're going to talk about that. And maybe we'll get into the history of licensing and, and if it does make us any safer. So um, without further ado, um, Pete, welcome to our show. Good morning, Sean. Thanks for having me. Uh- just
1: I'm,
0: happy I, to be here. <laughs> yeah, I'm super excited to have you on our, our show today and just our conversation. Um, super excited for what you're doing. I mean, it's too bad that this is how we had to meet um, because it's unfortunate circumstances. And I, I make a joke um, um, that... I don't like attorneys, but my best friend is an attorney, which is true. And I think <laughs> – and every time I say that to an attorney, and I have an attorney that represents me, and I told him when I first met him, I don't like attorneys. He's like, well, why would you? So – so, um, and the, the good thing is is that you guys are out there fighting for us, and it's the only way I think in reality we're going to stop things like this from happening. And unfortunately, I'm not a patient person. Um and fortunately, attorneys are because you guys know how long this kind of stuff can take. So, you know, so introduce yourself, Pete, and tell us a little bit of history about this case and, and some other cases that you're working on.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Thanks, Sean. So my name is Pete Serrano. I'm the general counsel and one of the directors and founders of Silent Majority Foundation. We're of a 501c3 nonprofit based out of Washington. Uh, we've got a brand new office in Pasco. We have uh, directors that are also up in Snohomish County. Um, ultimately Silent Majority Foundation was birthed just shy of a year ago, mid-August of 2021, really quite frankly, Sean, due to the circumstances we're talking about back then, maybe the medical freedom, at least as far as uh, punitive actions against medical professions weren't as commonplace as they were. But in August and July of 2021, when Jay Inslee said, if you work for the state, I'm going to make sure that you have a COVID-19 jab. Um, We had some folks reach out to us and say, hey, what can we do to prevent this? One of those individuals was Jeffrey Johnson, who is a phenomenal young man. He was working at Coyote Ridge corrections off uh, corrections facility. For those of you who aren't in Washington state, that's uh, in Southeastern Washington. And as a corrections officer who kind of made roundabouts uh, the governor said through the department of corrections, you have to have this jab to keep your job. We sued in Franklin County, which is again, for those of you who aren't familiar with the geography, of Washington, Southeastern Washington, um, because Coyote Ridge was there. Mr. Johnson lives there. And we thought it'd be appropriate. Well, the first hearing we had, the state crinked, kicked and screamed and said, no, we can't have this case heard. It has to be in Thurston County where the governor made this rule. You know, it felt like a four year old tantrum stomping its feet. Uh, Judge Dave Peterson, who really should be applauded as a hero, stood up and said, you know what? The plaintiff's here. The plaintiff was fired here. This needs to be heard and kept in our backyard. And so I got the ugly view of the first fight immediately, literally within 24 hours, the state had lodged an appeal, an an expedited appeal to the Supreme Court saying, you have to tell them this case has to be heard in Thurston County. Um, And so the governor and kind of his cronies essentially are now lodging these cases in favorable courts and Judge Peterson saying me you want to cherry pick your venue and put it in Thurston County that's not appropriate I have jurisdiction I was elected by these people here in Ben Franklin County and I'm going to stand for them and, and again he has to be one of the unsung heroes of this COVID story in Washington State um so again that was how we started and since then we've filed cases not just for medical freedom we've we just last week filed Senate Bill 5078 for anyone in Washington knows that's a ban on what they call high capacity magazines which is 10 rounds or more and that's for a handgun or you know a rifle so we've filed cases on that we've sued the democrat legislature uh for prohibiting The unvaccinated or undocumented, if you were a vaccinated House member, if you didn't show your papers, you couldn't get on the House floor to debate bills. So we have this pure remote legislative session. And if anyone knows, this stuff is it's nowhere near as effective as in person. I think anyone that's ever attended uh, a meeting, whether it's public or private, it's significantly more effective in person. So we've been all over the board. And to your point, the reason I'm on your podcast this morning is we are standing also for medical freedom. We've had doctors throughout central uh, Eastern and Western Washington, basically throughout the state, reach out and say, how do I preserve my license? The State Medical Commission is coming after me for, quote-unquote, COVID misinformation and disinformation and violating their speech standards. It's They claim it as a practice standard. And I want to be very clear here. I'm going to use some very precise words. The Medical Commission claims it as a practice standard, meaning they can regulate...
0: Looks like we might have lost Pete in the stream. We're going to try to try to get him back um, and finish this conversation. I know he's traveling and his uh, internet connection wasn't super good. So I, what I want to comment on is I think it's some of the stuff I forgot about. Um, and it's nice that Pete brings it back up or it's not nice because it, it kind of makes my blood boil. Pete, are you back? We lost you for a minute. Pete, are you there?
1: Yeah, I'm back. I, I think okay. I apologize. We may Nowhere have lost worries. connection there. Uh, yeah, no, no so worries. So I, I don't know
0: where you lost me. Where, where we people. lost you is a practice standard, and I, and, I, and I want to I'm I'm super excited to hear this practice standard, which basically to me means you're trying to violate freedom of speech. Okay, go on and tell us these legal terms.
1: Well, and that, and that's exactly the the position I was going to make there. The point that I wanted to make, you know. I, is Dr. Ryan Cole, right? He practices out of Idaho. He holds a Washington license. They actually have come after his license and we've talked with him about that. So if he's not practicing in Washington State and they're hitting him for a COVID practice standard, but it's COVID misinformation and disinformation, to your point, Sean, it's not a practice standard. It's a pure
0: speech. They're regulating what doctors, there's any medical, it's important
1: to know this. It's not just the Washington Medical Commission's Organizations have adopted this standard, and it comes from, it precipitates from the Federation of State Medical Boards, which is a nonprofit that has an operating, bill, uh, uh, operating budget of, it was either $50 million or $500 million. Either way, it's a well-funded, quote-unquote, this is what we're going to tell. And then a state, no COVID disinformation or misinformation. That's a punitive action right there. And so getting back to Scott Miller, our physician's assistant in CAMAS down in southwestern Washington, in Vancouver area, Scott treated folks for COVID-19 using something similar to the FLCCC protocol. He kind of kind of modified it. And, you know, as a good doctor, he modified it according to patient, you know, the weight, the height, you know, other uh, contraindications, the medication. You know, he's not just out there saying, this is what FLCCC says. I'm going to take it. I'm going to run with it. That's that. He would actually, you know, talk with his patients. He would have whether it was over the phone or video chats, he'd have that conversation say, okay, what day are you on? Um, What have you been treated with? What are you allergic to? All those basic questions that a doctor or a PA in his case should do. And after saving lives and keeping people out of the hospital, the Washington Medical Commission said, well, you know what, in 2013, we believe you lied on your application to become a physician's assistant. We're going to hit you for that. And oh, by the way, you violated the COVID misinformation and disinformation standard that we've adopted. And here are a handful of cases that you've done that. And I think they hit him on five patients. Again, three of the five lived. Two of the five actually died in the hospital. Um, and it's really, it's obviously a sad story because he's out there saving lives and being told that no, you can't practice. And so back to 2013, um, he was working in Central California, and there was a complaint on his license. He was under investigation. He hadn't heard from the investigator. When he decided to move uh, up to Washington, he called the the investigator and, and the state medical board and didn't hear back. So he was, the question posed by the Washington Medical Commission on its PA application is, do you are you under investigation that you're aware of? And of course, at that point, having called the investigator and the state medical board, he didn't believe he was under investigation at the time. So he answered that honestly. And so again, this goes back to speech, right? It goes back to if the medical commission wants to know if you're under investigation, they should ask, are you under investigation? And then the PA or licensed individual has the obligation to figure that out. But if it's something subjective of do you believe or are you aware of being under investigation and you do what you can to chase it down as Scott did, well, he did everything he could to find out. And he didn't believe his investigation was still ongoing. He believed it was closed out. So that's the 2013 uh, basis that they're using to lodge a complaint against his license. But it's really violation of the COVID misinformation standard because that was only eight of 42 counts that they're hitting him on. (laughs)
0: So well, I know that's really I,
1: long-winded background on Scott. No, but no, that's
0: what I wanted to hear. But I, I find it interesting that you know this light lying on his application was nine years ago, and now all of a sudden it's coming out. I mean, isn't that kind of weird? <laughs> well, I mean, it, it just tells yeah, you what it's their a pure suspect, is. right? I mean, it, it just <laughs> right, puts right. the commission in a bad light. <laughs> it does. So, speaking of the commission, what are your thoughts that?
1: So, so, he, so Scott blocked does, his license. and it's extremely it's been suspended and, and so through the, the process for the medical professionals is you have uh a, it's a, what's called a show cause hearing, and it's got an extremely low bar of evidentiary standard. What this is is the commission to the commission. <laughs> And mind you, right now we are in front of the medical commission, right? We're not in a superior court. We're not in a federal court. We are in front of an administrative hearing board made up of medical commission commissioners. How this is not the most biased, jaded, inherently unfair and prejudiced thing, I don't know. But we'll set that aside for now. The first step is you have a show cause hearing. And what that is, is you basically petition a segment of that commission and say, hey, I want to keep my license and here's why I believe I didn't violate, you know, the in, in um, Scott's case, the 48 things that you claim I violated. Um, and you have to kind of essentially pre-litigate that. And it's, it's, it's very limited. You have two or three briefings and I think it was all of uh, an hour hearing if that. I wasn't involved at that time. So he lost or was his license was suspended, quote unquote, temporarily a year ago. And now we're at the position where we're having a full-blown four-day hearing the first week of August, August 8th through 11th, in front of the full board of the commissioners where we're going to present, you know, expert witnesses. Uh, The state has its expert witnesses. We've briefed a ton on this case. We briefed from our position a lot on the First Amendment and freedom of speech. We also have intentionally briefed the issue of bad faith because our medical commission, the commissioners themselves are insulated by statute from liability unless you have a showing of bad faith. So we talked about some specific instances. There was an instance where a complaint came in and within 22 minutes, that complaint was referred out for action against Scott. Well, they didn't even know who brought the complaint. They didn't know really what it was about. And so they started investigating it. And with that We said, hey, you you can't investigate someone within 22 minutes without, like, actually investigating whether you need to investigate, right? And so we're trying to show that there's this bad faith so that we can then lodge a lawsuit on the offensive saying you failed to uphold your statutory duties. You know, that oath you took to the United States and Washington Constitution where a license is a property, right? Yeah, let's not forget you totally abdicated and just abused that. And then you've shown bad faith by targeting Scott. So my goal here is, quite frankly, once we defend Scott's license, I don't know that we have a great chance in front of the commission. I believe they're inherently biased. I believe there's so many things wrong about this that we're not going to get a fair shake. So from a licensure standpoint, we're going to have to appeal it to the Superior Court. We can go to Clark County where Scott is. We can go to Thurston County, which we know is, uh, I think we're better off in Clark County, but that's another conversation. But my goal, Sean, is ultimately to brief everything up, present this record so that we can take this to a federal court and say, you know what, his civil rights were violated. You know, And under a certain statute, we can sue each commissioner and the commission for damages. That's the only way to stop this, Sean.
0: Yeah, I agree. And so what... What kind of recourse does he have in the meantime? He's got to make a living. You know, that's the sad part about this.
1: Yeah, and that's that's a tough thing. I mean, he's really struggling financially. Um, I mean, I don't want to expose the situation, so I'll just leave it at that. Um, he's had to look for, like, alternative non-medical, like, essentially selling supplements type of thing. Um, yeah. You know, kind of a health coach. and and a wellness coach you know so he can at least make some money fortunately um his wife's employed and i don't want to say much about that because she holds a license too um you know um so so,
0: yeah well so why we're talking about this um and we kind of talked a little bit just briefly before the show about the history of licensing and um you know i i talked about uh you know, uh, I introduced with uh, Dr. Scott Jensen, who had you know a hit against his medical license, and he's the one that talked about states using licensing to weaponize. Um, and when you look at the history, what happened during COVID? You know, originally licenses started out. Physicians were one of the first professions, or maybe the first, to get licensed. And now, you know, everybody has to be licensed. Dog groomers, and you know, if you paint somebody's toenails, you need to be licensed well. Look at what happened during COVID. The government shut those places down so they couldn't make an income, and they threatened them and said, well, you can go ahead and open up and do it yourself um, against our will or against our recommendations, but we'll take your license. So, Can you discuss that about licensing?
1: Yeah, so I mean, I think inherently the first start was, to your point, you know, let's protect against quacks. I'm going to smash you in the head with a rock. And that's going to make you heal. Right. You know, we we don't want that type of quote unquote medical treatment. But let me um, I want to back up, too, because that's a really critical point to the foundation of Silent Silent Majority Foundation. Um, As you mentioned, Sean, you and I were introduced by some mutual friends. One of our directors, Rob Waits, uh, grew up, you know, in Moses Lake and, you know, his dad. And before Silent Majority Foundation was born. I I sit on Pasco City Council, and I brought a reopened Pasco ordinance, right? And this was in uh, late 2020, early 2021, uh, to basically say, we're not going to allow the governor to shut down our business, right? And and so ultimately, that failed. It didn't even get to the floor. But simultaneously, there's a place called Shakey's Pizza. And anyone familiar with the Pasco area? Yeah, yeah, exactly. (laughs) I knew you'd nod your head. Road 68 (laughs) and the highway, right? And Shakey's Pizza. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, Dean. exactly. Dean. And yeah. <laughs> so Jakey's has a liquor license. It sells beer, sells pizza. It's other yep. stuff, right? It's got games. It's a great place for families. So parents can grab beer. Kids can go play video games and you get pizza like it's Chuck E. Cheese, but for adults and kids. And so Dean contacts me and says, hey, man, my license is my liquor license is is under investigation. And I said, well, what do you mean? Like you sell bad beer? He's like, no, I told you patrons they didn't have to wear a mask so liquor cannabis board came after me and they're going to shut me down or fine me at ten thousand dollars a day and then we heard labor and industries uh if you're familiar with sterling's restaurant and a couple others and i hope you know they don't mind that i call them out by name but you know labor and industries and liquor cannabis board came after their health licenses and and then you know their liquor licenses to your point point licenses are there. If you look at the statutory history of liquor cannabis board and what it's supposed to be inspect for it's one, are you over serving? You know, I mean, look, if you're blatantly drunk, I should not be serving you Two: Are you serving the minors? Yeah. If my nine year old kid goes in, gets hammered and then rides her bike into road 68, someone's going to die. Right. Of course we want that to not happen, but to tell me or to tell Dean as a pizzeria owner, You're not telling your patrons to wear masks, so we're taking out a $10,000 a day penalty. Liquor Cannabis Board made that rule. Think about this, Sean. The governor appointed someone to Liquor Cannabis Board. Liquor Cannabis Board makes an emergency rule valid for 120 days saying we're going to enforce the governor's order. We saw that with Chris Reichdahl, our state's public public superintendent of public instruction, so our state superintendent, he said, I can enforce the governor's order. It, this whole licensing thing and enforcement mechanism has gone so overboard with COVID that whether it was something that was to protect people b- from the beginning, and we're, and now I'm just going back to licensing, you know, I think licensing has its time and place. You don't want to continually relicense the habitual driving offender, right? If someone has 10 DUIs, you don't want to reissue them a license. If they're driving 125 and running over kids in school areas, you don't want to relicense that person. That was, you know, I think we all believe that somewhere there was a benevolent intent. But now when you have these agencies and... Think it's not just goals. And then and like an octopus, making sure it's got suction cups all the way around and suction cups with spikes so it can suck you in and punish you simultaneously. Right. And this administrative state has grown so burdensome that it's punishing us anywhere and everywhere that we disagree with the quote unquote mainstream thought. And I don't believe it's a mainstream thought. I believe it's a small minority imposing its will. And I know that kind of deviates and takes us away from your original question, but but I, I think licensing has been so weaponized by our government, we have to peel it back. You know, um, I worked on a, a, a Republican governor's campaign. I, it was Josh Freed. Um, and I told Josh, I said, look, I have no interest in going to Olympia, but if you're elected, I want you to hire me as your LCB and your LNI and your Department of Ecology, your heads, right? I want you to hire me and fire me within a year because my goal, Josh, is to take the burden off you and I will go through and just gut these regulations. Because the problem, Sean, is that the legislature says ecology can do one, two, three, four, and oh, by the way, number five is whatever you believe is necessary to achieve your goal. So we have a lazy legislature that's, it's abdicating its authority. And I think we need to sue the legislature on that. They should never write a blanket check to an agency saying, Oh, a number five is whatever needs to be done. You know what? That agency needs to either go back to the governor or back to the statute that creates it and ask the legislature, Hey, you know what you really um, department of ecology, we, we need to uh, there are noxious weeds that are fire threats. We need to regulate those. And these 10, counties. Now that's a reasonable thing, right? Okay. Noxious weeds are a fire threat. We've seen historic fires. We've seen this. Let's regulate that, but not just anything you think is necessary. And, and so between a lazy legislature and between a power grab of these people who have been appointed by Jay Inslee, who just believe they can do whatever they want to rule the world, licensing has been so weaponized. It's it's taken the ability for people like you and I to operate as we should.
0: Well, and I think one of the things that um, Dr. Scott Jensen said is that you know sometimes people just like oh well you know he's a doctor no big deal but here's what his you know thought and his comments are if it can happen to me it can happen to you and so you can say well you know he's a doctor and he was misspeaking about COVID well let's say you're a dog groomer and you have a license or you you cut hair and you have a license you're next. I mean, seriously, and that's what I stand up for. I don't stand up for myself. I stand up for individual liberty in general, and I try to make sure when I speak at all that I'm speaking for everybody. And this is – when we talk about medical freedom or freedom in general, individual freedom in general, it's like you should have a right to wear a mask. You should have a right not to wear a mask. You should have a right to get the jab. You should have a right not to get the jab. You should make those own individual decisions for yourself and your family. It should not be mandated by some government agency. And, that, and that's exactly it, is, you know,
1: all right. And, you know, I'm trying to collect myself here because as I think about this, it is inherently frustrating. I love our country. Um, I have kids that are nine, six, and three. And I apologize. Uh, You know, the whole reason we started Silent Majority Foundation was a stand for. I mean, the reason I participate in it is because of my kids. And if we don't stand for freedom, one, we're doing a great disservice to men and women that aren't really in the history books from 250, 300 years ago these people, you know, we talk about the folks that served in World War I and II as the great generation. I think the greatest generation were our founding fathers and founding mothers that kind of go unnamed. Um, These people, in my opinion, wrote the most perfect document to form a human government. And I do believe it was divinely inspired. And we could discuss that, whether that's a separate podcast or here, I don't know. Um, if we don't stand for these freedoms, we will lose our country, period. And when I look at my kids, I know that the amount of debt that was accumulated throughout my lifetime, specifically over the past two and a half years, my kids are going to be essentially in a debtor's prison for their life. I don't believe that we will recover economically in a way that they're going to have a true fair shake. But what I can gift to them is that continued uh, preservation of freedom. The United States, and when you look at the Washington Constitution, protect those individual liberties in such a sacred and holy way. And if we don't fight for those freedoms, there will be nothing left for our kids. They will literally be in a debtor's prison with zero freedom. And so, uh, to your point, whether it's through licensing, Uh, whether it's through the regulatory state, I don't know what you want to call it, the administrative state. Those are the things that the constitution protected us, in my opinion, like in this perfect lane of individual liberties and the administrative state has come in and chipped away at it piece by piece. And again, I I know I almost got
0: emotional there, but this is real and it's raw. It is. And I I get emotional too, because uh, it's not just, it's just not your kids, Pete. Um, it's your grandkids and great grandkids, God willing um because we are so far in debt in this country you look at the trillions and trillions and trillions of dollars um that's a whole other subject too about fiat money and what our government's doing with all all that and just printing more money because um, it's really just not real but what i getting back to the freedom thing you know when we talk about the Bill of rights, you mentioned the u s Constitution I want to talk about. You know, the amendments to it, which is the Bill of Rights. When the Founding Fathers wrote those, they're not they're not something to maybe be followed. And and freedom of speech, there's a reason it's number one in the Bill of Rights. If yep. we've got if we don't have freedom of speech, we don't have anything. And listeners and viewers, you can say, Well, you know, it's a doctor given bad information. Well, let's remember that. There was a doctor in the 1890s, a medical school student in the 1890s, that got blackballed from medicine because he was um, proposing that doctors should wash their hands before they deliver babies because some of the babies and moms were getting sick after they were in the cadaver lab. And um, he got blackballed. Well, aren't you glad that he spoke out? Don't we want people to speak out? Don't we want people to have different opinions and shouldn't? You know, individual patients and individual doctors decide what's best for an individual, um, not, not the government, because if the government decides, then we have no individual liberty and we have lost everything. And it's not just in medical freedom. It's in everything in general. If we let it keep happening, we have to stop it. Freedom of speech is the most important of the Bill of Rights and the Washington Constitution. You're an attorney. I'm not. But the Washington Constitution or whatever the Washington Constitution says, they cannot violate those rights. Our legislator can't. Our governor can't. They can't legally do that. So in the end, these things should or might come in front of the Supreme Court. And I will tell you right now, if these things came up in the Supreme Court right now, I think we can probably kind of decide over the last few weeks what the rulings were about this. And it's clear that the Constitution is black and white. Freedom, if, if it was in the front of the Supreme Court right now, I would guess that the Supreme Court would say that what the governors have done is illegal and violated our freedom of speech. And and um, yeah. So anyway, I can go on and on. What are your opinions on that, Pete?
1: No, absolutely. I mean, I think if we brought these cases to the United States Supreme Court, we'd have favorable rulings. And that's, that's why – When I look at these lawsuits, I I have to look at, okay, is it a state statute? Is there a federal statute? Is it it all the above? How can I take it to the right place, right? And that's my goal ultimately is to plead it in a way that I know that it will have, um, you know, appeal to the U.S. Supreme Court because that's our savings grace right now. Um, I absolutely agree with you. If these types of cases went in front of them, they would unquestionably you know, they'd probably come unhinged, you know, and it would be a great either Thomas or maybe a Gorsuch opinion or maybe a great Kavanaugh or, or Coney Barrett opinion that would just really say, listen to your point. I mean, it may, it may be one sentence, you know, thou shalt not breach the First Amendment. <laughs> <laughs> right, I mean, right. It's pretty simple logic and, and legal basis. Of course, you know, you can flow on for 80 pages and talk about the history of it, but you know, I, I mentioned our gun rights case, right? And one of the reasons that was so timely is the week prior, or two weeks prior, the United States Supreme Court went back and really looked at how the Second Amendment's been analyzed historically. And there's been this two-pronged test. And they said, no, it's a one-pronged test. Does it violate the constitutional right to bear arms? Period. Now, it will float on for another 84 pages. But the point is they they whittle back a, I mean a two-pronged test is not hard, right? Well, they whittled it back to one, saying if it violates the, the United States Constitution, or or in our case, you know, the Washington and United States Constitution, period, it is it's it's void. And and that's the beautiful thing about this current Supreme Court, is they look at it, they look at the history of the it's Constitution. It's pretty and black, they look,
0: it's black and it, white. In my opinion, it it's black is. and white.
1: <laughs> It is. And more importantly, they don't look at the court's interpretation of the Constitution. They look at the Constitution and how it's been implemented. And and I think that's a really important distinction. I mean, we could really get into Roe versus Wade and how that came about. And people claim a a constitutional right to an abortion, which I mean, that is like the greatest misnomer. That's as bad as Jay Inslee saying he's following science and data. Right. Um, Both blatant lies. Not, there is no constitutional right to an abortion. There's, well, a, constitu- there's a there's a penumbra. This in 1920s they call it a penumbra or an umbrella of rights that fall within the Constitution. One of those was the right to privacy. And whether that's the right to privacy to not take a COVID 19 jab or to have an abortion, those rights were protected. So those aren't. Per se constitutional rights, right? They've been developed and protected under the Constitution, and I think you know what, whether, whatever side you fall on on those equations, um, it's important to understand. You know, there's there's a two pronged test in my opinion. One is there a right to protect that privacy, and then two, you know, when it, people ask me about my abortion stance, and I know we're really not, probably not supposed to get in that here, but. You know, ultimately, if you have a pre-born human, the question is, what are you doing to impact that? And I think I'll leave that there.
0: Well, and here's the thing about the Constitution. It's only 12 pages. I've read it quite a few times. And, you know, there's a lot of things in there that our government does, our federal government, too, um, i.e. Medicare and Social Security. And I read through that document, and I'm like… There is nowhere in the U.S. Constitution where it says the government should provide health care or can provide health care, not the federal government. uh, On Amendment 10, it says it could be left up to the states, I suppose, um, or the government shouldn't provide retirement. I don't see that in the Constitution. We read that stuff, and it's like over the years the courts and some of these decisions have come through, and they're completely unconstitutional. And I am black and white. If it's not in the Constitution, it shouldn't be there. Do I mean do I think that Social Security and Medicare are are unconstitutional? Absolutely they are unconstitutional. And if somebody wants to prove me wrong, please show me in the constitution where it says that the government has the right to steal money from me and give to somebody else because they think they're going to retire with it, they're going to give it to their health care. And don't go down that general welfare clause with me. Because general welfare of the people, that's what Congress's job is for promote the general welfare. General welfare is not stealing from me and given to who they see fit, and that's exactly what they're doing. And with that whole thing, it talks about taxes being uniform in the Constitution. So when they're stealing money, more money from other people than they are certain other individuals – That is not uniform. That is unconstitutional, period. And that's what income tax is, a progressive income tax. And our federal government has used that to have an unlimited spending account since the early 1900s. And that's part of the problem. Sorry, had to go off on a tangent. No, that's
1: that's fair. I mean, because (laughs) they modified the Constitution to make those taxes, right? You know, I mean, and that's the process. We're supposed to amend the Constitution, but it shouldn't be amended to – you know, they call it the pork and barrel spending. You're not supposed to amend it so that you can get a road in Pasco, Washington, or, you know, somewhere in Minnesota, because that's going to get you reelected. You know, if you're going to spend and tax, to your point, should be uniform, should be fair, it should be an, uh I hate to use this term, an equitable position, um, where, you know, I mean, the concept of a flat tax that was floated, I mean, I, that all makes sense to me, you know, and then folks say, oh, well, that's going to, Anyway, we're we're way off
0: I know, I know. <laughs> well wow, I'm you it's because we're not way off topic, though, Pete. I appreciate you, and we, we talk about freedom a lot, and, and this, our freedoms are protected by the U.S. Constitution and mostly the Bill of Rights, in my opinion, because you know, the Bill of Rights, people don't realize it, but it was an amendment to the Constitution that I believe helped me out that Jefferson made when yeah. Thomas Jefferson said, wait a minute, okay, we wrote this Constitution, which James Madison wrote most of it, but he was a protege of Thomas Jefferson, and – then Jeff said, "Okay, well, we're giving Congress and the federal government all these powers, and I get it. You know, there, there, there's three different, you know, uh, executive branch and judicial branch and a legislative branch. But, but you know what? We need something in place that says you can do this, but these, these are things you absolutely cannot do. And freedom of speech, which." is probably the most important that's why it's number one um was written there for a reason and i think that's what medical freedom is all about it's it's our you know maybe you could touch on that maybe it's our property right i'm not sure how that is but um i look at it that it is our freedom to decide what goes into our body maybe that's a property right and congress is supposed to protect life liberty and property so um when you look at medical freedom what is that is that a freedom of speech right or is it a property right
1: So, I mean, I I don't think it, first, I don't think it has to squarely fall within one. I think unquestionably from those who are licensed and back to the point that it shouldn't require the licenses, we'll leave that aside. But for those who are licensed, you know, like Scott Miller, unquestionably there's an inherent property right when he spent hundreds of thousands of dollars on an education, you know, hours, however many hours it takes, you know, over the course of seven years. And then examination, he has a property right in that license that's, that's unquestionable. And, and I think irrevocable at that point, uh, unfortunately it's been revoked and we're going to have to fight on that. But I think there's both the, uh, right to privacy, right. Which again, it's not a true constitutional right. It's been protected under the constitution. And I think there's uh, just a general, you go talk about the general wel- welfare, the ability for an individual to determine what is best for him or her. Um, Why is it that the U.S. government is now telling us what medical procedures we're going to have? And if they're conditioning work on it, unquestionably, there's a right to property in that workspace, right? Right, If you have a job and they're going to fire you. So I think it flows into, in and out of the Constitution. I think it's protected on so many levels, you know, whether it's a property right, a speech right. I mean, informed consent, let's talk about that. How many doctors are actually saying, "Oh, here, here's, here's your um, paperwork that comes with the COVID nineteen jab. Uh, why don't you let's talk? Why don't you read about it? We'll talk about it. Then I'll schedule you for the jab." I mean, I've had several surgeries. I've, I've ruptured several tendons—achilles, brachial, uh, biceps, and stuff like that. You know, when my doctor talks to me, he says, "You know, I woke up and." If we were in person, I'd show you my arm. I've got a straight line straight up the brachial, and at my elbow, it pivots and makes essentially a lightning bolt. Before I went under, he said, this should be a 45-minute surgery. If you wake up and the line's straight through your brachial up to your elbow, nothing was wrong with your biceps. If you wake up and look down and there's something in your biceps and it's jagged, something went wrong there. And and, and that's not him admitting that he messed it up, right? That's that's he tore that, right? Yeah. But he gave me the path forward. I assure you, when these COVID nineteen shots are talked about, they don't even say, "Well, if you wake up with two lines, right?" It's just like, here's the shot, it'll protect you. Well, now we found that doesn't protect, you know, now we found that. And I woke up and I looked at my arm, I saw a jagged arm and said, oh, crap, something was right. wrong with my biceps, you know, at least once the drugs wore off and I can think. Um, and, and we talked about that. He said, look, man, it took two and a half hours, you know, you had some scar tissue up in your biceps that actually ruptured. And, and we talked about it, but he gave me informed consent in the sense that he prepped me and said These are the two routes that we might go. I don't know until I get in. I've seen the images, but I can't tell you until I see it, see it, right? And that's for a a surgery. And these COVID shots that we don't know really what's in them, we don't know. We certainly don't know the long-term effects. You know, we're starting to see a lot of the short-term effects when young, healthy people are dying with heart issues that either didn't exist or were exacerbated through these shots. We have to own this. But that's all swept under the rug and it's just it's safe and effective. What the F does that mean? And I don't probably can't swear on the podcast. So I'll just say what the F does that mean? <laughs> uh, because it's just it's ridiculous that they're putting something in children's body now in, in in infants bodies. Now they just approved it for the zero to six. Yet our president, well, Mr. Joe Biden, we'll call him, has covid today how ironic that we're talking about medical freedom on the day that it's come out in the news that a guy that's at least singly, if not doubly or triply jabbed has COVID. Well, now
0: uh, um, America's doctor, Anthony Fauci got COVID after the jab. Well, and
1: then if you caught, he went on uh, to Fox with, a, I can't remember who it was two weeks ago and said, he walked back the position. He said, well, you know, these really aren't affecting transmissibility, but what it will do, because because the host asked him, you've been doubly or triply vaxxed. Why do you have COVID? Well, you know, and I can't do the true Fauci New York voice. I apologize, you know, um, what we're seeing here is that uh, that it's not affecting transmissibility, but it's but it's it's helping me because it's lessening my symptoms. Mm-hmm. So we were sold, you know, again, let's walk back to informed consent. No one reads the damn box. No one reads the insert. And a doctor says you're not going to, it's going to decrease transmissibility. That narrative has been gone for over a year, Sean. Yeah. Now it's just protect yourself. So you're telling me I can't work if I don't protect myself from getting sick. Are you effing kidding me? That is the only purpose of the shot is allegedly to weaken the symptoms. So now my job is at risk because I'm choosing not to protect myself. You know what I'm doing? I'm going to eat better and exercise more. So I don't die of heart or obesity or, you know, diabetes or give me the list of the other crap. Anyway, tangent there.
0: (laughs) Well, here's the thing about the important consent. I mean, this has come out a lot over the last year and a half since they've been given the jab is that there's a lot of – these big clinics that are actually they're participating in the vaccine trials and they're not telling people that so before they vaccin, they just tell them and i mean there's big clinics in my area that their ceo got up and spoke about how everybody should get vaccinated and you know people are dying and blah 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 but he didn't bother telling everybody that they're in, they are you know principal investigators in the trial with the vaccine and they don't tell people that when they're getting the shot so is that a conflict of interest? I don't know. Sure, sounds like it to me.
1: Well, I think it's at least a conflict, if not a violation of informed consent. Exactly. I think that's there's certainly value in contemplating a lawsuit. And maybe we'll talk about that one offline. Because, look, the reality is, it's sickening. The only way to hold people accountable is to take their money away. Because when you and I are getting poorer, or maybe not necessarily you and I, but the general public is just. Its value, its dollar value is disintegrating. People, I mean, people complain about $4.5 gallon of gas, right? That CEO probably flew in and flew out on a corporate jet. I don't think he feels that pain. So until someone takes his money, and I've said this, and, and I'm not trying to be a jerk here, but until Jay Inslee's stuck living under a bridge, he's not going to care. Right? He's just not going to care. He's going to sit... And every time I sue the government, my tax dollars fight me. That's the most disgusting proposition I've ever heard of, that I'm seeking freedom for myself and others and being beaten down with money that I pay. I don't get to elect, don't send that dollar to A.G. Ferguson. I don't get to elect, don't spend that money in in the governor's office. I don't know where it goes. It gets spent and it gets spent fighting me. And so until these people feel the pain they're they're not going to care.
0: Well, and, and on that subject, and boy, Pete, I'm so glad you came on today. We, we need to have you back on because there's just a lot of things that we can discuss. Um, and unfortunately, or maybe fortunately, we have to keep it all healthcare. So I'm always trying to go towards a healthcare <laughs> arena because when we started this podcast, it's like, okay, we're going to focus on healthcare, all kinds of subjects, healthcare. But you know what? I could see how the Second Amendment could actually – Um have to do with medical freedom because let's just let's just put this out there if we don't have a second amendment we don't have medical freedom it's the only way for us to defend ourselves when you look at other countries i.e canada i.e australia i.e new zealand what did those governments do they locked into their houses they said you have to stay here you cannot come out and they mandate all this kind of stuff and guess what they can't defend themselves so is the second amendment about medical freedom Absolutely, it's about medical freedom. It's about being able to defend ourselves from a tyrannical government that would mandate any kind of medical procedure, any procedure in general. But I'm just focusing on, on medical here, period. Without Second Amendment, the First Amendment is zero, nothing. Absolutely, absolutely. And so when we talk about hurting, you know, I to debate. I, I lost friends over COVID. My my good pharmacy school friends, I lost them over COVID because they just think I'm a conspiracy theory and blah, blah, blah. Now, here's the difference. They work for big corporate clinics, drinking the Kool-Aid, making millions, maybe billions of dollars on COVID, period. They, they, these people are making money. These big hospital institutions and, and, and clinics are making lots of money off COVID. They don't want it to go away. There's all kinds of income streams that they are getting from COVID specifically. We won't go into that. Maybe we will on another subject. But here's what I had to tell them when they would tell, when my friends who are pharmacists would say, Well, Sean, some people need to be stated, they need to be told to stay home because they would make people sick and you don't want people to die in a 70,000 person stadium and blah, blah, blah. And I said, You know what? It's really easy for you to say that because right now the government has labeled you essential and you get to go to work and make a living. How about if they took your license away or they took your way to make an income? Would you feel different? I say the same about these doctors that were that are pushing vaccines or pushing masks or pushing all this stuff. It's like, you know what? They may or may not believe in it, but I'll tell you what. You're talking about it's got to cost you something. You take those people's incomes away, would their opinions change? Of course they would. Follow yeah. the money. I'm okay with that. It's all about self-interest. I just admit it selfishness and self-interest is different but if we take our incomes away and our in and you know scott miller is a perfect example yeah he's got to fight in this game he has to any other doc? what other doctors or any licensed person should realize they're the next scott miller they should be fighting for people like him because it could be them next period
1: yeah no absolutely you know and, and that's where i'm grateful i haven't been affected by this in that way and and let me I know we're going to wrap up here. I want to give you just a little bit more of my story. We talked about some of the advocacy I did to kind of get me into Silent Majority Foundation. But at the time before we created Silent Majority Foundation, I was working for Energy Northwest. Uh, anyone in the Tri-Cities knows that's a state agency that produces and sells nuclear and other wind, uh, other power sources, right? I was working on helping to permit the first small modular reactor technology in the United States and so we were on literally cutting edge new development. That was the single agency that was not impacted by the vaccine mandate. That is, we somehow skirted that. And I was never under the guise that I'd have to get the vaccine. So I, I want to be very clear about this because people are like, oh, you worked for the government. You jumped ship so that you could do that. No, we were protected. In fact, I still talk to people a year plus to the day of when we started, almost a year to the day of when we started COVID. Or not COVID, but the Silent Majority Foundation—they're still not under the vaccine mandate yet. I left that because I knew that if no one spoke up and no one brought no one brought these lawsuits, we would never have someone to fight for Scout. And to me, it was more important, like I go back to, to preserve my children and my posterities, You know, whether it's my grandchildren, whoever, and, and unselfishly other people's kids and grandkids too. But I focus on those three little mouths I feed, right? And we started Silent Majority Foundation, not because I had to, because I was under a jab or job mandate, but because it was important to stand for what was right. And until people start standing with us and there were a handful of attorneys. I get on a call with about 13 in the state and about 24 throughout the country. Um, and those are two separate groups. So, you know, there are dozens of attorneys out there. But, you know, my call to action, to anyone with a legal mind is join us. Figure out how you can bolster us so that we can fight more of these fights. We have to fight these battles. We have to have guys like you. And I am ever grateful for you, Sean, that you're willing to speak out Be one of those quote unquote crazies, you know, and and I love being on that side of the equation because, you know what, when my life's over, I'm going to look back and say, you know what, I did it. I shot for it. I don't know what difference we're making, but we are absolutely doing everything we can to make that difference.
0: (laughs) Well, I agree with you 100 percent and I'm streaming your guys' website there. Um, And I appreciate what you do because we need attorneys to stand up. We need medical professionals to stand up. And if there's a medical professional, I'll I'll let you expand on this. But if there's a medical professional that has been discriminated against because of COVID or because of any reason, uh, can they reach out to you, Pete? Yeah, absolutely. Send
1: an email to info, I-N-F-O at silentmajorityfoundation.org or directly to me at Pete, P-E-T-E at SilentMajorityFoundation.org. Scott Miller is one of several folks that we're working with. I'm actually talking right now with other attorneys on who we can hire that's got, you know, more of a background in this. Uh, There's a woman out of Colorado that I'm hopefully going to work with her on, on bringing some more of these cases. So we're here to stand for licenses because quite frankly, at some point I'm going to need to see a doctor and I'm not going to do, I, you know, I haven't worn a mask, but for maybe four or five times throughout the pandemic um, or whatever you want to call this thing. Um,
0: I like like to cover, I like to call it government created pandemic. That's really what, that's really what it is. And whether you, you know, whether you believe the government created the virus, that to me doesn't really matter. They're the ones that created the fear about the pandemic uh, yeah, period or about the virus. They, they created this quote unquote pandemic. And, you know, please comment, you know, haters can comment and say all they want about millions of people are dying. I, I will, I will debate that. So go ahead, please. Yep. <laughs> yeah,
1: no, I'm with you. And we could get into those statistics, and you know, how you can bake a stat as much as you want or as little as you want. Right. I mean, that's how you value a company that's not worth anything to a couple million dollars. Right. So I'm saying. <laughs>
0: Anyway, we don't need to get to that. <laughs> yeah, right. Well, I yeah. Well, first of all, you know, one thing I appreciate, Pete, is and and this is what you know. You talked about your history, your job history, and now this is what you're doing. And you took a big risk by going out on your own. Um, you left a job with a guaranteed income um and i will tell you there, this resonates with a lot of people and resonates with me people will tell me people told me quite often well i had to get i had to get the vaccine they they made me no they didn't it, it's a choice you can choose you can choose whether you decided to stay employed there or not and there oh, i i i didn't have a choice yeah yeah we we all have choices and we make choices and sometimes those choices might cost us but in the end you know might cost us financially but in the end can we look back and say you know what I stood for my principles and I said, no, and I will tell you that there's a lot of people that are regretting that they got the first jab. Now it looks like a lot of employers have backed off on that and I don't know where that's going, but um, you know, now we're starting to see long-term complications and it, and it makes me sad. It makes me sad that, that, that this had to happen. So thank you for fighting because you know, as much as I don't like attorneys, I like you guys fighting for us because it's the only thing that in the end that really you guys help to make laws and, and create new regulations. So thank you.
1: Well, I appreciate it. Thanks for having me on and thank you for being out there
0: and willing to speak the truth. I appreciate it. So um, yeah, Pete, I I really can't thank you enough. We're going to have to have you back on um, to update us on these lawsuits because unfortunately these things don't go away fast. um, And, you know, hopefully You know, in the end, you guys will prevail, even if it has to go all the way to Supreme Court. So, I I imagine you're ready for that fight. So, um, I appreciate you being on. And, listeners and viewers, I appreciate you tuning in today. Please follow us on our social media. Uh, We cannot stream this on YouTube or Facebook because we have been censored for COVID related stuff. So, we are on Twitter and LinkedIn. And I did share to our Facebook. And hopefully we don't get in trouble for that. So, but I want to get this information out. It's very, very important to me because, again, freedom of speech is really important. And censorship, when these social media places are shutting us down for for speaking freely, um, it's just it's not right. So, thank you, listeners and viewers, for tuning in. Um, we'll talk to you Monday. I don't know who our guest is, but twelve thirty to one thirty, actually. Janet and I will be on personally. We'll be sharing our story about how we came into personal medical freedom. It has to do with it financially and medical freedom in general. And so you don't want to miss out. It's a it's a really good story. I really love sharing it. So thank you for listening and tuning in today. Health solutions with Sean and Janet Needham. Thank you, Pete.